always think like, what can we learn from oh, these so more much. advanced? Yeah, technology is cool. Like, yeah, I would be curious about their technology, but it's really not important. Yeah. Yes. Like, how is this society? How are they thinking? How did they re- did they resolve uh, the issues? We maybe they didn't didn't encounter the same issues as we had to because you know, their society may have have taken a very different direction. Who knows? But they've gone farther than we have, uh. and uh, and to learn like. I have the impression at that moment the whole of humanity will will have whiplash, and sort of like do a double take, more more accurate, and start realizing okay, like there's a whole other world out there, <laughs> like completely yeah. different, like and and vast. I mean, you're talking about one civilization, but there's like probably dozens that are advanced just in our galaxy. Who knows how many exactly? Yes, uh, and, and just like wow, like we're how pity are we still thinking about these little things that we have here? Right, and we're still like you got to accentuate the positive. Wow, I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. As always, a blessing to be with all of you again. And remember, yep, I'm going to say it again, if you're liking the shows or if you're hating the shows or if you're watching for the first time, please subscribe and leave a comment. Just helps the algorithms, get the gets the word out, you know, that sort of thing. Okay. So, and um, send me an email and all that good stuff. And what else do I want to tell you? Join our Facebook page and I'll tell you all that stuff at the end of this. I have a fascinating man to introduce you to today. His name is, and I'm going to maybe butcher his name, but I'm going to try my best to say it with his accent, Sylvain Rochon. <laughs> How did I do, Sylvain? That's not terrible. <laughs> <laughs> really bad at a French accent, I tell you. Anyway, okay, let me tell you a little bit about Sylvain. He's in in Canada. Uh, Ottawa, you're in Ottawa in Canada, right? Correct, yes. Sylvain Ronchon is uh, one of the leaders of the Alliance for Extraterrestrial Diplomatic Contact, which is the Alliance for ETContact.org. A futurist, scientist and engineer, He's passionate about engineering a better world for all of humanity and beyond. Silva is also an international keynote speaker, entrepreneur and author of Engineering Paradise, Are You Ready? He is passionate about the evolution of human civilization towards designing a golden age, an age where we no longer need to work to survive and where everyone is free to seek their own destiny without fear. We can do this using our understanding of the universe and available technologies. Silva has a bachelor's degree in biochemistry, chemical engineering and education. He's also the co-founder of Psychometrics. Correct. What is Psychometrics? 
Um, it is a an online psychometric company, uh, as in the measurement of psyche, like um, personalities, cognition, things like that. Okay, and the VP of a network development at the Alliance for Extraterrestrial Di- Diplomatic Contact, director of the Canadian Institute of Mass Communication and a delegate of the World Future Society, you know, just to name a couple of things. So the website that you want to go, you've sent me a few websites here. You've got silverroshaw.com and you've also got the alliance4et.org. Yeah, you've got a few things going on. Welcome yeah. to the show, Silver. <laughs> Thank you, Karen. I'm very pleased to be here. <laughs> Lovely to meet you. Okay, so let's hear a little bit about you. Like uh, you're obviously an ET in human form, I reckon. You've come for our, from our future. H- have you heard of? Uh, <laughs> have you heard of? Because you've got the vision of the future, right? You've you've been thinking about it since you're a kid, right? Correct. Yeah. It's. Tell us um, about it. Yeah, when when I was a child, this is a bit like an origin story for my superpowers. <laughs> Marvel, Marvel, I'm sure is going to pick it up. When I was a kid, I uh, I didn't know. Like you're you're a child, you, your whole environment. I was living in the uh, um, in the countryside in Canada, like a French community. Uh, like a, the the closest village was a thousand people. Actually, it was more like seven hundred, and we lived like you know, kilometers away from that. Right, so very isolated area, but beautiful, wonderful. Um, so I didn't know any better, but somehow, somewhere, I got it into my brain that I had to save the world, like like all kids do, <laughs> apparently. Uh, of course, um, and um, as so, I, I I had issues when I was growing up because I mean, when you're five, six, seven years old, you can't really do a whole lot, especially if you're out there in the boonies. So uh, so when I, I became a teenager, eventually, I started having migraine, like stress migraines, because I felt the pressure. So I I felt powerless, right? And then I was I was growing, and I I was developing that identity, and I was still you know in high almost high school, but still like in the boonies somewhere. Um, and I wanted to be a doctor, it's like solve all these problems and doing all these things to, to, to cure the world of any and all uh, ailments. Eventually, I'll, that, that calmed down. It's like, okay, like you can't be stressed about the rest of the world. <laughs> you know, take it one piece at a time. But that's where, I, that's where I'm coming from. My, my, my mind has always been in that, in that sense. So, uh, so I did a whole bunch of studies at the university and, you know, in sciences, technologies and education, I ended up, ended up being an educator and I still am. I consider myself a, a futurist, but also an educator, which is kind of, you know, put, put together, kind of works really well. Uh, but always thinking about how can we build that better future, right? Um, now, how can we engineer a better world? How can we heal cancer? Like all, I was thinking about all these things and I still am. Um, so that's why I'm involved with all sorts of organizations because they all uh, are aiming uh, to to resolve some kind of major problem. And the, the Alliance for uh, Extraterrestrial Diplomatic Contact is no different. It's uh, it, that's another passion of mine because I, in my sense, that we are part of the universe, not only the planet. Now that's why I find uh, a little annoying. What's you know some of the the messaging i see around on the planet where you know we fight each other on color on race on whatever i right? like it, it, it's very tribal and my thought is you know we are 
at the same level as the animals, the plants, extraterrestrial uh, civilizations elsewhere. Like we're just all participants in the universe. It's like, it, it, it's, you know, it's um, fighting amongst each other is like just so small thinking and so just very emotional. Um, so that's why when um, fairly early on, when I was, I think I was like 13 years old, I started reading a lot about extraterrestrials and kind of understanding the unknown and the mysteries, like, you know, ghosts and, you know, UFOs and all that stuff. And I, uh, I became at some point, um, uh, when I was 15, I became a Raelian, uh, which is a philosophy that believes, um, from a contactee that believes that this, uh, aliens came here and created life. So scientific design kind of principle, and that kind of blew my mind. It's like, okay, that makes sense to me. I'm being a scientist. That makes a lot more sense than the grandfather figure on the cloud or theory of evolution, which still has a lot of problems. Uh, we could talk about the theory of evolution and the details of it uh, and the unresolved issues <laughs> of that theory. But basically, I started uh, thinking a lot more about uh, connection with other civilizations because of that. Because then, like, okay, maybe we're being observed. But what if, on a personal level, what if the people that are observing us actually created us scientifically? Wouldn't that be neat, <laughs> right? Wouldn't that make a lot of sense and explain a whole bunch of stuff, including religions and all sorts of stuff? And then they want to meet with us, not only because we're they're curious about this strange humanity that's on the planet there, but that because they they actually have watched us grow as a civilization for so many so many years, and maybe we're on the cusp of being able to meet with them officially and have a have a conversation, you know, with our father and son or you know mother and daughter kind of a conversation, uh, and that that those, that type of thinking appeals to me tremendously. Um, so I know I'm mishmashing a lot of, uh, a lot of concepts here. I'm going back and forth, but, uh, in, in some way that kind of summarizes both how I think, <laughs> but also, but also who I am, um, you know, being uh, kind of considering myself more of a member of the universe than a specific nation or a specific planet and just desiring to, to participate in the wonders of the universe, uh, with humanity and hopefully humanity growing out of its growth phase and it's uh you know navel gazing and uh and, and petty squabbles with each other and uh, moving on to something like like a, the abstract you uh, uh you read uh go, moving towards a golden age so I, I guess that says most of of it uh i hope i answered your question <laughs> do you feel like you're being inspired by higher civilizations or extraterrestrial civilizations? Yeah, um, I've often felt that. I have no idea if there's an actual tangible influence, but I certainly feel inspired. Yeah. Uh -huh. The thought of, I'm a big science fiction fan, as well, so you'll, you'll see what right away. <laughs> You know, I, I always think about Roddenberry's work, right? yeah. like Star Trek and, you know, Earth Final Conflict, you know, there's, a, there's a bunch. You know, yeah. he went to see Edgar Casey and different channels before he wrote the series, don't you? I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but I did, uh, okay. I, I did have um, a little bit of time uh, with his son. Uh, okay. Uh, Rod, Rod, how how unfortunate that name. Like, what, I don't know. I was, I was what, his why. name was Rod Rod. He was named Rod. <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> this is not a great guy. But yeah, 
um, Roddenberry was a visionary, but all, uh, if you look at pretty much all of his um, all of his shows, he humanizes the aliens. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Well, uh, I think all all sci-fi does they humanize the aliens, which really um, frustrates me because when I'm mm-hmm. watching futuristic uh, sci-fi movies, I think. Really? Surely we're past all this emotional bullshit. You <laughs> were no jealousy and, you know, all this stuff. I mean, you know, 2,000 years in the future or 1,000 years or whatever, surely we've got past all that, you know, but they're always, there's always this amazing tech and everyone's fighting with each other and jealous and having affairs and I'm doing the same old stuff on any other show, right? And I'm like, huh. <laughs> I think it's kind 100% of... 100% agree with you. Yeah. It annoys me. I mean, I'm entertained. Don't get me yeah, wrong. it's entertaining. I do like the, um, but it's un- I think visuals. it's unrealistic. Yeah, yeah. Me think too. about again the Star Trek. Very, you think about the Klingons, for example, right? An aggressive race, but they're they're spanning stars. I mean, they would have destroyed themselves way, way before they got they got anywhere uh, because of all the, all the advanced technology Be- they have. Because access of their to. temperament. So have yeah. you heard of Have you heard of Jacques Jacques Vallée? Uh, the, I've heard the name, yes. The the Venus Project. Did you, oh yes, okay. Well, yeah. I, I I work with in the Venus Project as a volunteer. Right. Okay. A well, you know, Jacques was so inspired by a futuristic, you know, race of beings, and yet when he was interviewed, because he's since left his body. Uh, when you asked him about consciousness or spirituality, he was like, "Nah, that's all bullshit." <laughs> Or ETs, like, yeah. <laughs> he was just, because he was so, like, you know, science sort of focused. And I think to myself, you know, I was telling my tribe the other day, uh, they were asking about my contact with my guides. But before I knew I had contact with guides, I thought it was all me, right? I thought it was my questions being asked, me working it out, my common sense. I never attributed any of the inspirational thoughts that I was having to a higher consciousness beyond my human mind Uh, so that's why I ask you do you think you're being chatted to or inspired by higher consciousness Uh, and Uh, once you do once you do wake up to that fact they introduce themselves to you and they go hi it's about time it's it's not all you doing the thinking yeah (laughs) I I, I haven't had that that level of experience like uh, that contact I've always thought yeah I'm open to it. Um, mm-hmm. Telepathy, you know, there's there, there's truth that right. uh, and and other forms of communications that we're not completely aware of, or right. that we may not uh, uh, be completely capable of con- to contact, except for some people, or or because of training and things like that. Right. You know, I, uh, I I spoke with a lot of people that are contactees, like alien contactees, recently because of the alliance. Yeah. And um, many of them are engineers. So they're very rational kind of right. training. Mm-hmm. And um, what I noticed uh, recently with uh, with one of them is that uh, you know, they have this spiritual experience with uh, contacting, like um, having like a, 
a uh, fifth kind contact basically. like an out-of-body experience or telepathic communication or even oh, a, direct contact with an alien or you seeing like yeah, having a physical is. experience yeah, yeah 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 but it was it wasn't like face to face like body to body it was something like there was some weirdness going on about them they couldn't really explain they were a group uh, was, i don't want to tell the story because he it's his experience but just just to make the point and you know, being an engineer was trying to figure it out to understand how this was happening, what was it going on, because you know, yeah, uh, yeah. but he couldn't. And so uh, I kind of told him the same yeah. thing I told many other people. You know, there may be some uh, some ways to communicate through um, telepathy or other means that are that feels mystical. That's one thing, but also an advanced civilization like it's just fifty years ahead of us. Like you just give them fifty years more advanced than us. And they activate some communication technology. We may we may not be able to distinguish that from magic. And so we perceive things, and we think, "Oh, this is mystical." There's, but it could be technological. But we we can't make the difference. It could be either way. We don't know. Yeah. So so I, I, the point is, like, I think we have to just keep an open mind about all that stuff and be receptive, and you know, kind of accept the universe. Uh, still being full of mystery, yeah, and uh, and be connected and listen, right? Well, you know the way you describe uh, future Earth, like what you want to see, is the way future Earth is. So I've been, you know, showcasing new old teachers for over twenty years, and on the show for about twelve years, and spoken to many incredible people and. I speak about him all the time. It's like, oh, she's talking about Garnet again. But Garnet, who is, was a Canadian corporate lawyer, I'll put you in contact with him, uh, was uh, awakened by his spirit guide about 10 years ago who appeared as a homeless man in the street and has since over the last 10 years taken him to fly around the cosmos and shown him many realities, including future Earth and other mm. planets that live in other dimensions, humanoid, planet, humanoid planets, which fascinates me. How does their society run? What's their governance? What do they eat? How, what is their transport system? And what you're describing is what he's experienced. So that already exists as a reality, yeah, in some other dimension, other world, other timeline, other time, place in time, yeah. So Other we, dimensions, perhaps. Dimension. Sure. Yeah. So let's How do we hear, describe these things? Let's hear about it. Let's hear about your vision of the Alliance for Diplomatic Contact. Okay. Well, this is a, a fairly specific engagement, actually, project, right? Um, the, the Alliance is a collection of organizations, uh, of which I, I'd love to have you in the uh, as uh, as inside the alliance. By the way, we'll, we'll talk about that a bit later. Uh, but it's organizations that want the same thing we do, which is having official contact with an extraterrestrial civilization or two or three. You know, but one will do, <laughs> right? And um, so within that that alliance, there's multiple different group organizations that have uh, you know different approaches to that the more grassroots like a ce5 type uh, organizations uh we have some people that are doing that like direct contact right the uh the, the international rallying movement uh is is the, one of the founding members uh and they want to build an embassy which is what you see behind you uh, you know the funds are raised and then there's this imagination and discussion going on with uh, the United Nations as well as multiple countries where you need to 
set aside a piece of land, uh, extraterritoriality, to be a, so that it's formal and a location recognized internationally as an embassy for extraterrestrials, not for any one nation, right? Um, so that's that's a, a certain project for one of our members, and we are accepting other members that have similar desires, but they may have other uh, other plans, other goals, similar in parallel, and we support each other under the alliance. And we all kind of joined together to develop this future world in a, in a sense where we uh, we bridge that that fantastic gap from being you know, this only our, ourselves on this one planet to being part of a, a, a of a a, a collective of our a collection of our civilizations beyond our planet you know uh, and, and into into the, the galaxy and changing that mentality from where, what we have now to more like the Star Trek's Federation kind of ideology where everybody's welcome, everybody's together, we work together, we're, we're everywhere on different planets, but then we learn from each other, all that stuff. So that's the, the purpose, basically it's leading to that, that transition and, and putting, up, putting out the welcome mat for an ET civilization that's looking at us, undoubtedly waiting for us to wise up and be ready for them. Uh, I, I'm convinced, among with uh, all the members of the uh, of the the alliance, that uh, we're being watched. It's not like I mean, if you just look at the engineering technology, they're they're not you know flying around themselves and and trying to to avoid our uh, our aircraft. Uh, they're doing that to show off, to show that we exist, and kind of like put inklings into our brain that in, uh, allowing us to cause discussion and to kind of. Uh, get a sense of it without having too uh, too much fear. They're, they don't need to be to be there. Like we we have satellites in orbit to to watch like every nation and provide uh, satellites. And we don't see those satellites, right? So why would a civilization that's fifty, a hundred, a thousand years ahead of us in technology need to actually be in our atmosphere and say and and wave hello? They don't need to do that. They're doing it on purpose. Same with possibly a lot of crop circles and. Uh, a whole bunch of other stuff. This is just to prepare us for when we're ready to say, okay, now we, we're we ready to welcome you. Like, come down, have a chat. We're fine. We won't panic, <laughs> right? So so the embassy is really not for them because they, they can land or project and do anything from anywhere. They, they don't need to land in a specific location. The embassy is, the embassy project is really for us. If we're able to do that with the United Nations and kind of with with the red tick that's associated with it and the fear of politics, uh, politicians being associated with something a bit weird like that, uh, if we get through those hurdles and we get it done formally and it's internationally known, then the earth is probably ready for that meeting. And uh, that's, that's really the purpose of the embassy project itself. What if that already exists, but it's not available to the mainstream mind? Uh, you know, if there's a covert operation that has a diplomatic embassy and speaks with different races of extraterrestrials, and it's all already happening in the secret space program. I, I don't know. <laughs> and I, I, of course, I've heard the stories. Yeah, right? but because it's a secret thing, yeah, I don't really know about, right. about it because it, because it's a secret. 
I, uh, I can't say I, uh, it's impossible. I don't know. Um, well, uh, there so the, the may have been some contacts here and there um, of, all, of all kinds, maybe. The idea of this project is that it's open. It's not secret anymore. Right. Exactly. That's the difference, that yeah. it's open and available for anyone to come and learn and, and talk about stuff. And, yeah, it's not a secret anymore. <clears throat> and it's not considered crazy or woo-woo or all that sort of social yeah. conditioning that we've been under for many years. So there's been many stories of ETs coming to Earth both in human form or projecting a human form. Some use um, holographic technology. Some create physical bodies, not necessarily sure. birthed. And, God, I've heard so many stories uh, a, a, who have been knocking themselves out for like 70, 80, maybe 100 years trying to get humanity ready to rejoin the Galactic Federation of Worlds. And for the most part, because of the way we operate here on planet Earth, uh, there's been a resounding by our governments, no, we don't want you here, we don't want your help, we don't want your technology, it'll wreck our economy, it'll um, change our world, uh, we're happy the way we are polluting the world and making money. So that's got to change, right, Sylvan? I certainly hope so. Um, all my messaging as a futurist now, if I can change hats a little bit, is to create this better world of humanity, whether aliens are involved or not. Okay, yeah. That's the, the most single most important thing is not the evolution of our technology. I... The most important uh, step is the evolution of our consciousness, consciousness. right? Yeah. Uh, the mindset is a different word, uh, maybe a little bit more practical, I... like changing how we, we see the universe and how we see each other, how we see the world. Once we're able to to make that leap of mindset as as a as a society, I'm not talking about the leaders, but just you know you and I and others. Well, you and I, we've been there for years, but others <laughs> that are not just yet not not there yet. Um, that's when any possible secret hidden things. I mean, they they're not secret anymore. All of a sudden, because then the uh, the people are they they are accepting and. <sighs> You know, I, I gave this speech many, many times, Karen. Strictly speaking, as a, as a technologist and a futurist, our um, consumerist uh, economy is going to collapse within the next 15 years, probably more like 10. Oh, I'm thinking the next five years, actually. I'm thinking it's collapsing uh, I, right in front of our eyes. Oh, yeah. It, it's, not a, it's not a one day or the other. Uh, yeah. it, there is a transition. We are inside yeah. it already. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, and it's all because of automation and AI and, and our own behavior in consumerism and competition is actually driving it the, the, uh, at a faster speed. But that, I see that, yes, it's a, in a way it's a crisis because then what, what is the world going to be like if we don't have money and we don't need to dominate each other? It's fantastic. That. I can't wait. <laughs> but it, it's an opportunity to build exactly that, like that new world where it's not like that, where people don't need to work for a living anymore. Yeah. And there's plenty of resources for everybody. Yeah. And we have uh, robots and AI designed to take pleasure in serving us. And that's really important. Um, yeah. I don't want, I don't, I'm not sure if I want to go into, uh, into robots and AI and, 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 and their emotions, but, but it's uh, basically creating a, um, a, a symbiosis with new, uh, new, uh, new consciousness that we would create that, that allow that frees us all to do whatever we want. 
than okay. to enjoy life. Just to stay on the AI uh, conversation, I'm looking at your Facebook page this morning mm-hmm. and the last post you have is Elon Musk saying, I tried to warn them, Elon <laughs> Musk on super yeah, sure AI. Can. So I'm thinking, right, as much as you're fascinated by AI and you're all for it, there is also some danger there, which Elon Musk has been talking about. So what's where where are you standing on? Because I've spoken to, oh, God, I spoke to a couple a year or so ago who were so against the AI. They're like, get rid of your iPhone, get rid of your computer, get rid of all of it. I'm like, oh, okay. And they were channeling some Palladians or they were channeling some extraterrestrial race that said that going down the AI route was the 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 um the end of their civilization was like a destructive route it was just not so they were very they were warning you know like get rid of everything anyway i thought that was a little bit extreme so where do you stand on this i'm um encouraged um but there are some dangers to it uh, some pretty serious ones uh, I don't agree with Musk, even though I, I, I do share his ideas. And that one was actually, I was surprised by by that particular uh, Elon Musk, uh, at least it was, was an article or video. I, I forget what it was, but uh, I, that's why I reposted it. It's like, okay, that comment of his, I'm 80% on board with it. Hawking's was, uh, like uh, Stephen Hawking's was entirely uh, against the evolution of AI moving into a super intelligence um he can't really speak for himself now because you know he's he's deceased but uh he he had pretty strong comments my position is is more is more favorable uh but with we we need uh, similar to what musk was saying it's like what's lacking is that we need to to some regulation some rules because what we're really doing with ai uh, you know people don't really think this way except people in my field you know, right now we're dealing with really, really dumb AI. They're absolutely not dangerous. Okay. The current AI, what we call narrow AI. Uh, each AI is able to do something very specific, extremely well, but nothing else. Okay. That's the current state of things now. Um, but AI is getting interconnected in, in networks so that you have lots of AIs are able to do a lot of different things. And then as a collective, you're able to achieve way more than the person could. So within the next, I'm, I'm still saying the next 15 years or so, we'll have the emergence of AGI, so general intelligence. So AI as a collect, as a network would be, uh, would have at least human level intelligence. And that's okay. Again, I'm okay with that. I'm even okay with super intelligence, which is like way beyond that, but not that many years, just way more intelligent. As long as they are programmed correctly so that they don't see us or, or view us as, as a threat or a nuisance or anything like that. Because then you get into scenarios of Skynet and Terminator and <laughs> iRobot and these these sci-fi uh, scenarios that do state you know this you know humanity is super dumb and you know the AI declares humanity as a as a parasite or as or something. Um, that's why that's where the regulation and designing AI really becomes important. Um, like uh, you have China and um, um, and um, the U.S. for example that are that have developed uh, you know deep learning AI for weaponry. Right, 
So you can like send a tank, an AI tank out, independent thinking and choose its own target and defend itself and do a lot of stuff. That's a terrible idea. Because the, the way AI are programmed, like the learning AIs, they, uh, they learn according to parameters and then they can learn, they can adjust their parameters. And if they, uh, their, their motivation is kill, well, it can change targets and it can decide to do to kill other things. It's all a question of what makes AI motivated because that's how we, we, we create AI that are deep learning. Um, on the other side of uh, the fence, on the practical side, you have the AI that are driving self-driving cars, right? That's very positive. That's completely not a problem. Um, those AI are motivated and keep people, people safe. It's a little bit like uh, designing a person. Like imagine you can design a person, okay? Like a, it's a blank slate. It has no emotions at all. Like it's, it's completely blank. It's just a body, Right. And they said, okay, what kind of emotion or what kind of reaction do I, what, do I want to program and when? That's what we're doing with AI. It's like, okay, what are the emotions? Well, the self-driving car is, is, is an example of that. Oh, what do we want the car to do? Well, we want it to feel pleasure, essentially, gaining plus points, if it doesn't hit anything. <laughs> okay? So it's like if you design a person say, okay, you're going to feel pleasure if you don't hit anybody. Well, what is that, is that person going to do if it has only that emotion? It's going to avoid at all costs hitting anything because that's going to give that person a feeling of pleasure. You see that, I'm creating an intentional analogy. Uh, okay, okay, okay. I just got to interject. So, so we need to design AI correctly with the right motivations that are positive interacting with us and you, will be fine. You wouldn't, you wouldn't design a car that feels pleasure you would just give it instructions not to hit anything why what you know what's the pleasure thing I, I, uh, well okay um uh, i understand the uh i'm intentionally using these words because we're moving in that direction the traditional algorithms and software that we used to call intelligent were, were instructions right. that's what we used to do but when we are designing a self-driving car or anything else that has to take decisions on the fly, we cannot just give them lines of specific instructions because we don't know what it's going to encounter. It needs to be able to adapt on its own. Mm -hmm. And the only way we figured out how to do that is by training it with motivations. Like, okay, don't hit anything. Then that means it needs to recognize what a thing is mm -hmm. and how to maneuver. And so it's trained essentially. And that's the real term. They train sort of simulations and it's, mm -hmm. it bumps into things that's like, oh, that's a bummer. Like it's a negative point, let's say, <laughs> for that AI. Next run, it's, it's, it, it will avoid doing that. If it goes to the, the destination mm -hmm. within a reasonable amount of time, it has positive points. And, and the game essentially in the training is the car wants to, to maximize its points its mm -hmm. emotions because it's motivated that way and then when it encounters something that it has never seen before it learns from the billion times they've encountered different things and it's like okay what did i do in the past and most times i got the most points it's going to try to avoid it it's going to swerve stop do something and it behaves so it's a little bit like a baby learning how to be a baby yeah it touches hot things and and then it learns, okay, this feels bad, that feels good. Yeah, and that wasn't good. Yeah. starts behaving a certain way that maximizes, it's, uh, minimizes discomfort, maximizes. That's why uh, I try to humanize the AI to kind of give an understanding because we're actually programming uh, them to have 
alternate emotions, not not to be human, well, but well, to have he, emotions he, that are different that will drive their behavior correctly. Yeah, well, here's the thing. You said it. You said the evolution is not an evolution in technology. It's an evolution in consciousness. Correct. But you can't program consciousness into technology, or can you? I mean, you know, the thing about consciousness is that it's connected to how we think and feel. I mean, you can program something to think, but can you program something to feel? Uh, yeah, so there's there's a lot of, I don't know, sticky. And the answer is yes, we can. We you, are doing it. You can, you can program something to feel. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, like, look okay. at ourselves, okay? When, uh, when something is pleasurable to us, whatever it is, right? that's a uh, that's a positive reinforcement that's that's a feeling we call it feeling um and when you're you have something uncomfortable then that's a bad feeling it's it's a feeling we have that that's we're aware of our environment we sense things and we feel things like that and that drives our behavior ai are designed exactly the same way it's just they they don't like we can't put ourselves in that body and say, well, they feel sad. No, they don't feel sadness. That's our feeling. They feel something completely different that was programmed into them. But they, they, their behavior is driven the same way as ours. Okay. So I think that what I'm talking about more than feeling sad or happy is empathy. So mm. the evolution consciousness is really an evolution in empathy. So, you know, they talk about the indigo revolution and the star children coming in and this psychic ability, this ability to know what the other thinks and feels. So you could call that telepathy or, but, you know, as, as an empathic child, before I understood I was psychic, I didn't know I was psychic. I could feel everybody. I could feel everybody. I, mm-hmm. Someone would talk to me and they would say something and I'd be looking at them. That's not how you feel about this. That's how you think you're lying to me like I could Mm. feel it was very confusing so can you can't I don't know you can't program that into a machine to have that empathic yeah you can no maybe you can I don't know I'm not a scientist it it, it has a lot of senses and it can sense and infer uh if it's programmed to do it we we, we've had robots that do that but it's not the equivalent of human being it's it's programmed differently uh it's not interesting at all, zero percent interest, except for curiosity's sake, to try to design something that will replace a human being. Mm-hmm. We have eight, seven point eight billion examples of human beings. Why would we create another one? Right. There's plenty of them. <laughs> so it's curiosity. Can like just to answer the question, can we do it? Okay, I, I get. It. We'll probably do that just because we want to say we did it. Yeah. But there's no usefulness to it. Um, in the um, in the golden age that I see in the future, so I see organic and mechanical creations of ours that will be conscious, that will have interactions with us, but they would be entirely created with different levels of complexity, just like you know the snail versus the dog versus you know different levels of complexity and interaction, and they may feel very real to us. They and we can give them empathy or other feelings or, or extra feelings that, that that we don't have or and so on the the key is for us to have the right openness to be to, to be accepting of these um uh, this new society where we can do this yeah and and have a kind of a symbiotic and collaborative re- uh, a relationship with other other civilizations with planet earth like in general with those new conscious beings 
mechanical or biological and otherwise right. that, that we bring into the world and and in, interact with each other and think about you know what does a human being what is a human being really designed to do if you think about like if you're the mechanic what is a human being really good at that is a question sorry for you. Uh, what's a human being really good at i don't know That's yeah like if you generalize of course each individual I, is good at different I'm things i'm having but... i'm having a conversation with my mob about what i just said oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> and and they are te- they're talking to me about what I just said about uh, programming empathy. And, and so I'll get back to that question, what's a human being really good at? But I just want to tell you what they're showing me. So, sure. you know, the, the spaceships or the vehicles or, or of the future are conscious beings. They are conscious beings. They are biological um, machines, if you like, because they do a, a mechanical action, but they're actually conscious and alive. And what they're showing me is that there is absolute empathic and telepathic communication between you and your ship. In fact, that's how you drive the ship through thought and feeling. Um, mm-hmm. So you you program where you want to go by thinking about it, and then you turn up the frequency to that location, and you and your ship does the same thing, and you're there. So they're actually just just answering my question. You see, I'm thinking of machines <laughs> like yeah. bolts, and they're showing me their machines are actually more like flesh, but they're also yeah. machines. So it's really interesting. So what that's was fascinating. Your- yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of people that talk about that, um, that talk about craft that are conscious, conscious craft, um, people that have, you know, talk about the secret space program and all that sort of thing. But what are uh, human beings really good at? Yeah. Fundamentally, like if you Eating. think about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. What are human beings really good at? That's a good question. What a great question. I have no idea. What do you think human beings are really good at? Well, again, we have to, to think about everybody, like fundamentals. Yeah, I'm trying everybody's to good across at different the board. Things. Yeah. Human beings are great at feeling. Well, not everyone. <laughs> no, no, no. But I've, we are, I've our whole body, <laughs> our whole body is designed. Yeah, it's feel. true. It's very true. We have a very uh, large emotional component to this human yeah, and, you know the tactile, yeah. uh, you know the visuals. You know, we have we don't have full range of most of our senses, but they combine really well together, more so than most animals. Most animals are like the, like the dog, for example. It's now it is like absolutely fantastic, but it's lacking in feeling and touching and other, other senses. We are kind of broad. Uh, we're not great workers. Like we're not designed to to do physical labor over long periods of time. We can certainly do it question we've been doing it <laughs> for a long long time but out of you know out of need but we're uh, in in our engineer or how we're designed really like when we're, we're we're relaxed let's say let's take another angle when we're relaxed and we're on a holiday or we, we have time to just do something that we like we do something that is essentially sensual so listening to music using our senses uh, art, uh, uh, you know, just uh, going into the pool, taking a walk. These are all sensual activities that we enjoy when we don't we don't have obligations. Um, interacting with family, children. Uh, I don't have any children, but I hear that's great. <laughs> um, but it's it's it, it, we're drawn to to those activities because we get a lot out of it. 
um, in, a, in a very fundamental and general sense. Um, so if we think ahead into the, the, the perfect future for ourselves of freedom is that we'd be free to feel uh, as we want and do activities that we'll, we'll enjoy. Uh, and that, but we still have to eat and you know, sleep and doing these basic things, which is why you have all the productivity that we've been actually working for. It was actually to, to build and to have the food on the table and doing things. But what if we uh, essentially build a, a mini civilization of AI, organic or mechanical, that actually enjoyed our design to enjoy being productive and taking care of all that stuff? And okay. that's kind of where, where my mind goes. And you, you talk about those machines, those, those vehicles that are empathetic and they're, uh, of course, they don't feel pleasure the same way because they're, they're built differently, but they get, they're motivated positively to doing certain tasks that they were designed to do while we're designed to feel yeah. and to interact with the world in a different way. So your vision of the future is, um, so what is your vision? You like, 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 give us your overview. What, what are people doing? What does it look like? Let, let's yeah, hear that's your, where I was, your vision. I think that would be good. Yeah. Okay. Let's. And this is doable. You think of at least 12, 20 years, but it's, it's actually achievable to, to get that first start of this, what I'm going to, uh, to explain to you. You wake up in the morning. Okay. You're in your home, beautiful home, lots of good air. And uh, you wake up. You're not worried about work because you're not working anymore. Okay. There's no, nobody's actually working unless they decide to create an occupation out of fun or obligation or some kind of activity, which is part of freedom. You want to do what you want to do, right? You wake up, have a nice breakfast. Where does the food come from? Well, it's on demand. It's, it's actually grown inside the city, vertical farms or other technologies that brings it really close on demand, a drone or robot or whatever brings the food to your home fresh directly from the garden. And you, you, can, you can cook or it, it can come cooked and you, uh, you eat, you enjoy time you, with your family. Then you have the, uh, the, uh, the rest of the morning free to do whatever you want because there's no work. And you know that at noon, there's going to be more food. It's being produced by somebody else, by basically robots, if you would, if you simplify things, right? And AI. And you enjoy your morning, do some painting, maybe taking a swim, spending time with the kids. Or friends, whatever, and then you have lunch. Kind of same thing. You you can eat any essentially anything you want, and all the waste is actually recycled in, as materials that goes back to the farms or recycled into your uh, very sophisticated three D printing machines at home, where you can just basically recycle a whole bunch of stuff directly at the home without going to any centralized location. So environmentally, uh, you know, all you need is really energy. Where does the energy come from? Well, it could be uh, some kind of nuclear technology at, at the home, like it could be fusion, but you know it could be entirely solar without a problem. Like it's enough with your, just your roof to have enough energy to do anything you need at home. It can be very simple energy collection. The 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 pure purified water that you have is extracted from the air without using any energy at all. This is technology we have today, by the way. <laughs> okay. And uh, you extract that and you can drink fresh water. It's no pollutant, no nothing, no chemicals whatsoever. It's just pulled directly from the air. The molecules themselves are pulled from the air. No pollutants are, are included. 
So, so anything that is waste actually goes out because you're not working and your mindset, of course, is changed to a more futuristic mindset. You're not, tr you're not trying to impress the neighbors by just buying stuff and having stuff and collecting stuff. And even, even if you do, you can recycle and demolacarize that stuff and it gets recycled into other stuff. The only thing that's required is solar energy or other forms of energy to recycle that, that energy. So you're not worried about the environment or anything falling, you know, falling from the sky or anything serious happening. Uh, in the afternoon, maybe you want you want to uh, to go out, have some activity. Maybe you, you want to go to a to a restaurant in the evening, and the restaurant there's an actual chef there, a human chef, because he wants to be there. He enjoys it, and he cooks for the people. He has no pressure. The next day, he doesn't need to work if he doesn't want to, because there's always a robot and AI and all this 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 group of a uh, of collection of of intelligences and consciousness that can be better cooked than him. But he wants to be there, and it gives that that couple or these individuals in the restaurant that evening a special, unique flavor that is only that cook, right? Because that's a unique person, and he cooks he or she cooks for these people out of pleasure for himself. And the people enjoy that, and they have interaction with each other. And then the evening go, goes on. They may, uh, they may, uh, the, the people you may go out and maybe do something fun for others. Uh, and then you go, you can go back, go back home, enjoy some shows. A lot of the shows by by then are created singularly for you. Like uh, you think about uh, today, you have all these shows that are created by YouTubers by. Uh, by individuals by then you'll have we already have ai currently that's able to create trailers and movie trailers and shows by then you'll have a millions of shows they can pick off that are created by people or by ai you can choose whatever entertainment you like and it's free because there's a billion of them so it commoditizes uh, every uh, piece of uh, of entertainment you may imagine and, uh, and you, you go from day to day, just choosing what you want to do, whether it's you're serving others or you're just enjoying and consuming and recycling. Um, you, you're just enjoying yourself. And those like me who are engineers will probably continue building because I enjoy building things. Even though the AI and the robots can do it better than I, I like it. <laughs> so I'm going to do it anyway and, and have fun doing that. Uh, I, the burden of society is no longer on the engineer. The AI will actually take that burden out of their own programming. And I get to do it for fun, not, a, not because I'm obligated socially to do it. Uh, so that's the vision of, of the future, the okay. potential future. So what challenges people? What drives people? Well, people have their own goals. Um, if we look at statistics, you know, I think it's 70, 80% of people don't like their job because they're put in there. They don't want to do it. And they certainly don't want to do it 40 hours a week or whatever they want. Many, according to statistics, would enjoy their job if they get to choose how much time, when and how they get to do it. Because there is a feeling of purpose in society in actually doing something for others. In fact, there are two researchers out of Harvard I cite the I cite them in the in my book. In fact, so I forget their names now, but that was 2017. Um, they uh, they did some research on uh, what provides joy, and it was very specific because they were measuring uh, levels of joy in activities 
but only when there's an absence of chronic stress. So when there's no survivalist threat or, you know, my word about the next day's meal, things like that, where, you know, people are calm and comfortable. So no chronic stress. And what was discovered is that human beings, like 95% of human beings of the, of the, of the group they were, they were sampling, the, the biggest joy was giving to others. Right. And we know this. Okay, so so a lot of people get so here's the thing about our world. I've thought about this a lot. Mm. You know, without the sick people, there's no use for healers. So the mm. sick people need the healer as much as the healer needs the sick people. And the healer is in service and enjoys being in service, however they're healing, whether they're a doctor or, um, you know, or an energy healer or doing Reiki or a psychic or whatever, a teacher. Yeah. You know, without the hungry, there wouldn't be any need for, you know, that people need to be hungry, hungry children. Uh, without the poor or the impoverished, you know, the people can't serve in charities and go out and, and help people and, um you know, there's a there's a lot of people who get a lot out of being in service to the problems of our world. So if there are no problems in our world, what are those healers and people that have come to be in service to humanity doing? And I'm asking you for your vision. I've got my ideas. Yes. <laughs> uh, what do you think they're doing? That's a brilliant question because it illustrates a bit what where we're headed, or at least the ideal. There's no such thing as a perfect society. There's always going to be problems. Uh, people develop uh, imbalances chemically or otherwise mentally, and they need help. You said like mental health, or, that's still going to be a thing. There's going to be a lot less of it if there's no chronic stress, but it's still going to be some of that. There's still going to be violence. There's still going to be some just less of it because of the, the, uh, the absence of chronic stress, or at least the perceived People can still develop their own chronic stress, even though there's no, 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 no uh, tangible stress around them. We're imperfect creatures, right? Um, the, the big difference is, uh, is the, the removal of the absolute need to participate and create productivity for X amount of, uh, X amount of hours, or otherwise you're, you're kind of a, outside of society or you're shunned or you're homeless or you know, all these bad things. The, that's, that's what we really want to remove. You know, I mentioned earlier, earlier that you know, a lot of people enjoy their work, but they don't want to do 40 hours a week constantly in there because they feel forced to do it. And that's the, the absence of freedom that really hurts. It's not the actual activity. Like a doctor, a, a true healer, somebody that enjoys healing. Like I'm an engineer. I enjoy building things. Sometimes some days, like, um, and I, I have to admit, like most days I'm building something. I'm just passionate about it. I do it in my games. I do it with my businesses. I'm an engineer. I, I build. I enjoy that. But some days I don't want to. But then if I work for a company or I have a company with obligations, the days that I don't want to, I still have to do it. Because this system that we're in, it forces me to do that because if I don't do that, uh, if I don't work on those days that I don't want to, then I lose privileges and sometimes I can lose my job or the, because I can just say like, I don't feel like it and not go to work, right? If you're a worker, you can't just do that. So with the, so I'm forced to do it even though I don't want to. That's the piece that we're removing. 
we're not removing like okay now nobody works at all nobody doesn't like just you're on the beach all day like 24 7 365 days a week don't touch anything otherwise you know no like we're, we're per, the, the 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 world i'm seeing is total freedom that means you do what you want to do so those people that are healers that want to heal they go out and heal but they get to dictate their times and hours and when they don't they want to do it they based on what they feel and their feelings and their emotions so some may be working six hours a week anyway and they're happy to do it because they do it not because they're obligated to do it they do it because they want to and some may be healing 10 hours a week sporadically because that's that's the rhythm they're they're in and that's where they gain uh, their new pleasure and they're doing other things in other points in time so definitely the idea is not to remove some of uh, some of those activities from us it's to empower us to do what we feel we want to do at our, in our own time our own time our own pace because the the system right has no need for us to actually be in there. Otherwise, other people will starve or uh, like things are all going to collapse. The AI has that, has that covered. All the productivity, the food, like we're, we're good. If we stop doing what, like for one day or two days or, or three days, the world doesn't stop. It still rolls without uh, without us, but we get to to achieve ourselves. And I again, the reference is the uh, the Federation, Rodmer's Federation idea, right? There's no money there either. Nobody needs to work either. Yet you see in those shows again. I know it's fiction, <laughs> but you see in those shows that people putting themselves in danger because they want to. They feel compelled to explore to to adventure to open restaurants whatever they don't do it because they have to they do it because they it's a passion they want to and that's kind of the more the more interesting uh fallible model that we're looking for uh, removing the uh, fundamentally uh, and a really the base root of it all is to remove chronic stress from our lives yeah well, one could argue that chronic stress happens because of how you're programmed and then you, you know, it's an inside job. It's not what's happening in the world. It's how you're responding to it. So you can be in really dreadful circumstances and not be stressed at all. <laughs> or, or you could be in, I remember doing an Abraham cruise in 2004 or five, anyway, and we were on this beautiful luxury boat. And we had opted for the cheaper rooms, which didn't have a portal, right? A porthole, a porthole. And uh, I remember going into. I wish you had a portal. Uh, a a portal. portal, I know. Portal I to another universe. Being in this tiny room and freaking out that I couldn't look outside and having a bit of a claustrophobic moment and thinking, oh, like I was totally stressing. I can't sleep in this room. I need to be able to look outside. And. And then the first session that we had with Esther and the teachings of Abraham, they said, so how are you finding the boat? Everything is, is there for you. You don't have to cook. You don't have to work. Everything is provided for you and it's all included in the price. You don't even have to pay for anything. And still you've found something to stress and worry about, haven't you? <laughs> I remember sitting there going, damn, she's right. <laughs> <laughs> I you know. We can be in the most luxurious of circumstances where all our needs are met and we're completely stressed out. So, yeah, yeah, stress is an inside job. And anyway, how I got over it was my thinking was 
you're asleep while you're in the room. You don't need to look out the <laughs> window. You can just leave the room, go to, you go wake up to the deck. The room. Yes, you know, exactly. Get over you'll it, see Karen. more ocean. Exactly. <laughs> you, you could be out on the deck and you've got infinity in front of you. You've got that expanse. You know, you don't have that claustrophobic thing. Exactly, 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 exactly. And uh, where did I want to go? There was another thing I wanted to make. Um, oh, yeah, I wanted to tell you about this. So someone I had on the show recently, fabulous uh, director and futurist and amazing, Craig Campobasso, uh, has written quite a few books and uh, he was telling me about a woman who lived in South Africa. She died in the late 90s, in the early 90s, in her 80s and she was in contact with an, uh, a Venusian civilization, um, a, a man from Venus, but Venus, they had moved to Alpha Centauri and they inhabited about seven planets in the Alpha Centauri system. And he came from a, a planet called Meton and his name was Archon. Anyway, so she went to Meton with Archon mm-hmm. and looked at their society and their society was this utopian society where everyone was highly evolved consciously. It was like much more evolved in, in a fifth dimension. And they had, they, they lived like you're talking about. They lived mm-hmm. in complete harmony with nature, in, you know, in beauty, in loving communication and loving relationships with everyone. They just had this utopian, beautiful society. And the question was posed, I don't know, because I posed the question, but it was answered in the book, uh, what, is, what challenges them? And so because there, there were no challenges in their society, they were reaching out into the cosmos, into the universe, to be of services, to be of service to systems, planetary systems and civilizations that needed their help. And the challenge for them was to provide that help (laughs) and have that help be received. And I was thinking, yeah, right, like humans that say there's no such thing as ETs, they're sort of reaching out telepathically to us to help us with the evolution of our consciousness and technology and we're going, there's no such thing as extraterrestrials. So that was their (laughs) challenge, you know, to to be of help and service to a civilization that would deny their help or deny their existence. And yeah. uh, I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah. I, I think about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <clears throat> on the moment, like in the future where let's say we build the embassy, uh, which means we were civilization is ready. That's what it really means. And then we have first contact, right? I dream about that often because that's a super cool idea. Mm-hmm. right like official not hidden just here you go <laughs> you know and uh, perhaps like uh, you know big faces in the uh, in the skies like this so everybody can see you know like hey how are you doing yeah. you know you can imagine all sorts of scenarios yeah and then i always think like what can we learn wow, from these so more nice. advanced yeah technology is cool like yeah i would be curious about their technology but it's really not important. Yeah. It's like how is this society? How are they thinking? How did they re- did they resolve uh, the issues? We maybe they didn't didn't encounter the same issues as we had too, because you know, their society may have have taken a very different direction. Who knows? But they've gone farther than we have, uh. and uh, and to learn like I have the impression. Uh, at that moment, the whole of humanity will will have whiplash, and it's kind of like do a double take, more more accurate, uh, and 
start realizing, okay, like there's a whole other world out there, <laughs> like completely yeah. different, like and and vast. I mean, you're talking about one civilization, but there's like probably dozens that are advanced just in our galaxy, and who knows how many exactly. Yes, uh, and, and just like wow, like we're how pity are we? still thinking about these little things that we have here right and we're still like maybe like we're heavily overpopulated everybody knows it we understand that concept well right? i disagree i don't think but, we are uh, but yeah uh, you know there's there's no just there's no way to control population we don't even talk about it well, well why do you think we're overpopulated do you think that there are finite resources that we're using up and so thus we're overpopulated well, yeah, I mean, you're right. It depends on how you look at it. Like if you, if you, um, if you look at planet Earth's, planet Earth's regenerative ability, uh, we, we, and this is based on somebody else's calculation, not on mine, but we shouldn't be more than two or three billion. Uh, while, while still, while, while everybody consumes like the West, because right now, like there's like a, a lot of places in Africa, Southeast Asia, they uh they they don't have a very good diet they don't if they would consume like us like i mean that just for food uh that would place a bigger burden on the planet but um and this is this i mean we we are in my view over overpopulated we can have this population and still have balance but we have to use technology to do it well i think that we can have triple this population and still have balance it's just the way that we structure our society and the way yeah. we 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 produce and the way we produce food and you know uh, well uh, you know a meat eating meat the way we eat meat at the moment there is meat that you can actually create in the lab from yep. cells and create steaks and that are actually steaks yeah. or you can Culture create meats cultured yeah. meat or you can create meat from plant-based product that is 15 times 100 times healthier than than meat from animals so we could still eat meat so to speak but with the way we're producing meat by you know cutting down trees to grow soy and and feed and then cutting down trees to put the cows on there and and uh, and using all that you know it's just the way we're doing things but if we did things differently sustainably we could there could be 300 billion people living on earth i don't think we're overpopulated yeah, I, I don't know if that's going to be the number but we're, yeah I mean, we're I, overpopulated I, be, because of the way we we yeah. we do life that's why i said like if yeah. you're if we use our knowledge and technology correctly right. and we like like you said cultured meats super fan of that uh and also vertical farming for example like all sorts of technologies that uh, that we can uh, we can use uh the way we live also like a spread out we, we can concentrate a bit more or, or less depending on models we can certainly have a sustainable planet with yeah. whatever but we're, we're leveraging we're depending on that technology to to maintain that we can't just let things go you know, Sylvain, so, in, in Australia, we are this massive landmass and we're like 26 million people. Well, probably a bit more, but that's the statistics at the moment, just under 26 right. million people. Uh, but America is like, what, 350 million? 325-ish, 330, I think. It's actually anyway, over a lot more, right? Yeah, a lot on, more. On a yeah. landmass that's a similar size to Australia. But the thing that astounded me when I was flying over the States and looking down, I just saw so much natural beauty and so much mm. land and so much space 
in such a popular day. And I thought, wow, you know, you could fit a lot more people down there. <laughs> and you can certainly fit a lot more people in Australia. And I'd been given a vision by an Aboriginal elder, actually, in spirit, who, who came to show me that when humanity raises their consciousness, that they said that they are the custodians of Uluru, which is like a um, very important um, part of um, Mother Gaia of planet Earth, and that they purposely made the Australia barren for a lot of it. Not, I mean, there's incredible lush rainforests. It's not, but the greater majority sure. of it, like the inside of it, the centre, the the red centre, they call it, so that it wasn't inhabitable for human life because they didn't want a population on this part of the earth until we had raised our consciousness and we lived more unified and sustainably. And they and they said, he said, that when that happens, that Australia will regenerate. There is actually this massive um, sea underneath Australia called the Artesian Basin, which could irrigate the red centre and turn it into a, you know, lush rainforest. So, yeah, all things are possible. But there's, I think there's, there's plenty of room on planet Earth. I don't think we're overpopulated. It's just we've got to do things really differently. But, but you know, the people that do think we're overpopulated and might want to cull a couple of billion that could be happening right now, right? They want to keep things the way they, they want to keep the petrol industry, the petrodollar. They want to keep things the way they're doing it, you know. Let's just kill a few million people, a few billion, and keep going so that there's more for, there's more resources. Yeah, but there is power, yeah. But there are anti-gravitic technology for propulsion and and free energy technology that is um, using magnetics that's that's generating energy from just the atmosphere. You don't need any sort of fuel. All that's available and has been for 50, 70 years. It's all available now. And imagine if every home had its own little sort of free energy device that powered it completely there was no you, you were off the grid didn't matter if there was a power outage you've got it just you know uses the energy from the atmosphere and uses magnets to create energy it's all it's all possible right it's all there there's there's a lot of possibilities uh, i mean i uh, i i i keep to uh, open technologies that are there because i don't need to go into some of those more uh, esoteric uh, types of technologies that we that are not in the market that are not visible like in the market uh, I, it's, I i did comparisons in my book um when i wrote it uh just using solar just plain solar just that and there's a lot of other things <laughs> but figured, well solar is really you know if we if we use proper material is is a very clean tech to generate electricity and uh i did the math and if we we had solar panels enough to cover texas okay like that, that kind of uh, that uh, that coverage area. Area, there's more than enough energy for anything we'd need on the whole of planet Earth. Well, Elon Musk. Uh, said just that a good, Elon Musk said yes. that about Australia. He said that you could create this like little city of solar panels, and you could actually um, power the whole planet from just you know taking a little bit yeah. of desert and putting the planet and and because it's you know there's a lot of sun in Australia. But I've heard yeah. that, you know, the technology of building the solar panels, panels is very pollutive because of the chemistry, the chemicals they use to actually build a solar panel. So it seems like a clean solution, but when you kind of dive into it, it's not so much. Well, it, 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 well 
we, we can go into the tech, but there is, it, it depends on what solar panels. There is a lot of work, including also with batteries because of all these EV stuff. Uh -huh. uh, a lot of batteries are also very polluting. Right. Build. Yeah. A lot yeah. of them. Yeah. But there's a lot of really clever engineers that are tackling that. It's like, right. okay, well, we can make it one that is not using these materials. I even saw one where it was using like basic organic material uh, to, to, to generate. And it, was, it would be completely regenerative, regenerative a battery. A solar panels is a bit the same. There's this whole industry and there's this pushback, the environmental pushback about, well, and these are polluting. So you have a bunch of engineers that are working because it's all, it's a competitive space, right? It's like, okay, well, there's a lot of concern about environment. If we can create one that is environmentally sound to build, then we're going to sell more. It's all driven by the economy or nowadays, right? right yeah. And so they have some examples out there that are uh, like flexible panels with not as, as efficiently, you're talking about 21.6% efficiency, flexible panels made out of organic material that is non-polluting. So it's not the majority of the panels out there, but the technology is out there where it can, and we're moving towards that out of, out of pressure. I have a lot of confidence in the iterative, uh, the iterative nature of scientific process. Uh, despite the fact like we, we alluded to, I think even before we started recording, uh, sometimes we make boo-boos and we, we run a little bit before, <laughs> we should walk before we run sometimes. Agreed. <laughs> but the iteration and kind of the mistakes is part of that advancement that we do. And, uh, and we're moving into a good, a good place right now. I feel like I'm very, very confident that humanity, despite its numerous mistakes in the past and the current mistakes they're currently doing now, we'll get to that, uh, that better place. Mm. Um, and, you know, you mentioned utopia from, uh, I think with the Venusians that went to Alpha Centauri, I forget the names and all that stuff, but I, uh, I think that's a goal. Like utopia is a nice goal to have. We won't get to that. We're well, maybe we will, but not in our lifetime. <laughs> It'll be a while. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the, or, you know, technology can be can can be done really quick and establish it and deployment, but it's the mindset that takes a while. It takes usually takes generations. And utopia, like freedom, is a mindset. You can live in utopia right now. You know, inside the yeah. systems that we have, um, you can still live in utopia because yeah, it's a mindset, isn't it? Freedom is an inside job. Happiness is an inside job. It's all an inside yeah. job. I, I met a man in a conference in '95 who had lived in a prison cell for seven years that was about the size of a coffin. He could sit up in it, but he ate and defecated in the same space. And he lived in nirvana. He lived in utopia because he had the capacity to uh, find, you know, touch his soul to, to, to return to source and, and live in bliss regardless of his circumstances. So I think that's a very important lesson for humanity mm. too, to to start uh, appreciating the now instead of looking to a future to be happy. Happiness happens in this moment. And, yeah. and the happy inspires the great ideas, right? Like you know yourself, Sirvan, when you're happy and excited, how the ideas just like come, come, come. And when you're depressed and sad, it's like you feel blocked. Yeah. Absolutely. I, um, I'm fortunate enough to have learned that lesson in my... 
I would I'd say my mid thirties. I'm mm -hmm. 46 now, going on 47 soon. And um, I, I can pack everything I own in a car. Yeah. Um, my choice. Like I, this is how I live because to your point, what I learned is that happiness is, in, is, is something I decide upon. And my circumstances, all is um, these, these, these things I can surround myself with. Uh, yeah, they can be distracting, they can be fun, they can be all sorts of things, but they don't define how I feel. And they don't define who I am. Yeah. And so most of the time, I see no value in, in, in acquiring things. Uh, because why would I? I mean, I don't find a reason for it. Um, but that's, that's my path and my, you know, my, my journey. And uh, so and I don't live in a space the size of a coffin. Uh, I live in a slightly bigger space, but I, I, my space is very limited but, because I don't feel like I need more than that. And if I take more than more than what I need, if I do the very quick math, it's like I'm that's kind of like taking away from somebody else or space or whatever it is. I mean, of course, I'm not intentionally like taking something, but in the, and I have to take care of that extra space, and that that extra space is actually somebody else's space in some way. Yeah, but that's a you very know, that's a it's very shared, space is shared. Yeah, limiting mindset, like to think, I don't know, if I'm healthy, maybe I'm taking, if I'm too healthy, I might be taking health from somebody else. So maybe I should get sick so somebody else can have health. It's just, <laughs> yeah, you know. Bad, but. <laughs> but it's the same with, it's feeling like there is a finite resources. There's not enough air to breathe. There's not enough space. I've got to say, go to India, that mindset, I was thinking about this this morning, the different mindsets and the different, okay, so why I was thinking about this this morning, I was thinking about your mm. embassy, right? Mm. And I was thinking about, the ETs live in a different vibratory mindset and so a different uh, vibratory experience. And we create our vibratory experience through our mindset. And mm. as I was thinking about this, I was thinking of my experience in India. It was an overwhelming feeling of not enoughness, not enough time, mm. not enough space, not enough money. I was in an ashram in, uh, uh, in India where we would kind of go into this massive hall to see the guru and all the Indians were running to get right up the front and they're all squashed up against each other like <laughs> they were breathing in your ears, like your nose was touching the back of somebody's head in this massive hall with like metres and metres of space behind them. And the mindset was there's not enough space, you know, I've got to squish this, just this not enough was this huge mindset that I felt in India. And I remember the next day we went to see the guru. I thought, I'm not going to buy into this mindset. There's because they were all running into the hall, like it's not enough time. We've got to get in quickly. And I strolled into the hall as all these people were running past me. <laughs> and I sat stretched out. And there was this big like room around me while everyone was squashed up against each other. I, I sat there stretched out because I thought, I'm going to shift my mindset from this not enough. And yeah, so anyway, back to the, the, um, the eat. So would, would we need to cultivate a different frequency in order for extraterrestrials who vibrate in a different mindset to be comfortable in our environment? This is what I was thinking this morning. If we wow. create this physical space, will we have to set up the energy of the space in order to accommodate their frequency? That's a good question. Um, 
what the design of the embassy because we have the blueprints we prepared for it because we've thinking about some of this too is that there's an antechamber and you know the space behind the the meeting area and antechamber that's nobody goes there automated services sure uh because in a way like we we don't know their their entire mind their vibration or uh-huh. uh and uh it, you know we don't want to pollute that to make so that they feel comfortable being there yeah like yeah. I, I mean pollution may be a bad word but it's a like an interaction of an interaction of two different vibes that may not right. be compatible because mm. they're so you know alien to each other mm. so there is a a definite uh separation so that there's a, there's a comfortable space where nobody else goes and they're isolated there uh from from landing to uh to living spaces and so on and if they uh, they want to speak with us physically you know then they go they have to cr- cross this uh um how do you call that in like a um, uh, an airlock, I suppose, would be the, the, the right terminology. Mm-hmm. There's no space, but, you know, kind of an airlock thing. Uh, and then they cross over to our area and they do that by choice. Like, you know, they choose to do that and they expose themselves to our vibe. So there's some thought into into that. Um, you know, knowing that, you know, we want to to make them feel comfortable, uh, however the environment and vibes they, they, they are in. Have you? But that's heard... about as, as good as it gets for yeah. now. Have you heard of Emery Smith? Henry Smith? Emery, Emery Smith. No. All right. So he was a doctor in the secret space programs working on a lot of um, extraterrestrial tissue and bodies for many years. He's, um, he's since retired, but he's out there speaking about it. And he's met physically many extraterrestrials in the secret space programs. And he said that you have to prepare yourself emotionally mentally and consciously to be in the same space with some of these extraterrestrials because of their telepathic and empathic abilities a thought like a thought that you have just a little thought in your head can feel to them like you're screaming at them do you Mm. know what I mean because it's such a different way of thinking and being and um uh because they're so highly attuned to a different way of thinking and being so a frustrated thought or so anyway he was saying that if you're in their physical presence you really have to consciously work on maintaining a more positive vibe because if you get frustrated or a little bit pissed off or angry they feel that so it's like it's like clashing symbols to them mm-hmm. anyway he he explains it and um i sort of thought about it and thought yeah right okay so to many extraterrestrials that would come physically to earth you know humans are so uh, rooted in fear-based thinking most of the time that it, it could be painful for them to be in our existence because they're just not used to that vibe they're just not used to it yeah so something it. Something to think about when preparing an embassy to uh, welcome our cosmic brothers and sisters. We, yeah, there's a lot of training we need to do to to shift our consciousness and our thinking. Uh, just a thought is like, uh, you know, we're thinking about like you and I basically going there and meeting them, and we'd be, I, I I'd like to think that we'd be somewhat ready for that encounter because we've been in that mindset for such a long time, and probably I don't know if you practice meditation. Other practice where you Absolutely. discipline your mind a bit and things like that. 
but the idea, at least in this case, is to is for them to meet our national leaders, politicians. <laughs> yeah. Not a, not the same thing. <laughs> so I'm thinking of like, wow, they're gonna have headaches <laughs> because like the you know the, the mentality is not you know the same. They would be jockeying for position, you know, for for favors probably, and like you know the, the double talk in their minds and all. And they'll be the 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 ETs are gonna be savvy to to it all. Because they have ways to really detect all that, uh, all that deception completely. Yeah. I'm sure, uh, oh, but I'm yeah. sure they'll be nice and polite. <laughs> well, you've heard <laughs> having the, chosen you, to be there. You've heard the story of the um, stranger at the uh, stranger at the Pentagon. You've heard that story by Dr. Frank Strangers. So oh. it's about a an ET yeah, from again Venus called Valiant Thor, who. Um, who lived at the embassy for during the 50s, was it the 50s, for a period of months talking to the heads of state, uh, trying to um, impart knowledge from a higher civilization to our leaders falling on deaf ears again. And uh, so he was an extraterrestrial that lived amongst politicians. You'll have to ask him how he felt about it. Yeah, yeah. But, of course, he could read everybody's mind. Uh, because that's the way they communicate telepathically, and um, but that's what we need to do. We need to we need to get with the program. We need to understand our psychic and uh, telepathic abilities so that mm-hmm. we can be in a frequency and a vibration in order to receive them. And, and that's a little bit like, you know, if I think about the alliance, you know, itself as an organization. Yes, there's these tangible projects right, about contact diplomacy, you know, United Nations, all that stuff. These are uh, jobs that we, tasks that we are doing to kind of achieve some of the goals, like the embassy, the building, the embassy, and so on. But underlying that, uh, yeah, even more important than that, and and this is common for everybody that is supporting the alliance. We we have a group that is a Buddhist group, essentially, as mm-hmm. a supporting of the, of the alliance, and and others. Uh, you know, Scott Katamas is a Saturday Night Live is a you know is a as uh, a supporter and. I've been talking to Mark Sims, uh, mm-hmm. Alan Steinfeld, you know, and uh, and a bunch of others. And uh, I just recently spoke to Kostov, E.T., uh, Let's Talk. Yeah, he's coming on the show. Tour. Right. Yeah, he's, he's, he's amazing stories. Mm. That was a lot of fun. So they're all coming on board in the Alliance uh, because we all want the same thing. So we're collaborating right, on right. a fundamental level. That's great. But what we have in common beyond our interest in you know meeting E.T., is that we want to create this this brave new world of thought and consciousness, right? Uh, of uh, a civilization that is unified under freedom and uh, and acceptance and and so on, and that's really the more important piece, right? Um, so so when we we have discussions, we don't talk a lot about the embassy because that's like. The plans are there. I can share with you like a pamphlet that has like what we send to countries about the business of it, tourism, blah, blah, blah. But that's all tangible stuff. But the real work, you can call it that, is how are we opening the minds of people? How are we creating more love and harmony with each other? How are we building that? Because that's what really is going to open the door to an alien civilization. It's when they say, okay, like they're at this stage of evolution of social engineering, if you would, or whatever, 
where okay like they're at that stage i we've been there before a thousand years ago whatever right we know what's next not they're ready now for that kind of first contact initiative and to to, to, to really accelerate that mindset so it's all it's always goes back to that mindset change we were talking about that's really key getting and mindset change means we we just we can choose to, to change how we govern each other we can choose to change how our economy works to something that works for everybody because we certainly can natural resources to your point are abundant they're no longer scarce we got ways to make it to, to it's abundant now everybody can eat everybody has or can have a roof we just have an old system that decides that only the, the landowners basically own everything and those that don't own anything get to starve and we're, we're past that and we have to understand that we need to change our minds to change our society um, even though I'd like to think that an alien sieve would be the seminal moment that allows us to make that mind shift, my impression is that we have to make the mind shift ourselves before they come. That's my sense. I, I, I can't tell you why I'm thinking this, but that, I, I think it's, it's our job to figure our own stuff out. Absolutely. And that's what we're that all leap. knocking ourselves out as spiritual teachers doing. We're helping people shift their focus and their consciousness and raise their vibe and yeah that's what we're all doing that's what i've been we're doing. All doing that's what we're all doing that's why i've been doing the show for 12 years and showcasing new world teachers as well as teaching and um myself teaching and counseling and doing sessions with people yeah it's that's what it's all about is that shift in human consciousness that's the great awakening Mm -hmm. Sylvan, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Karen. Lovely. Wow, what did you think of Sylvan? Interesting, fascinating man, isn't he? I love his um, concept. I was just having a big chat with him. I'm just looking at that photograph behind me. He's got a lake or a swimming pool in the in the in the um, where is it in uh, in the shape of a of a UFO, I just saw that. Uh, I love this idea. I think it's gorgeous. Look at the star in the middle there, that uh, star of David or the six-pointed star he's got in the middle there. Um, yeah, I was saying, where do you think it's going to be built? Because he's already um, there's already been millions of dollars raised to build this thing, to build this structure. And he said, not in the US or Canada. I said, build it in Australia, build it in Australia. He said, it's one of the countries they're considering, but maybe a smaller country where it's less, they don't have to combat big political structures. Anyway, so I don't, we don't know where it's going to be built at this stage, but it is going to be built because the money is there to build it. Yes. I think there should be one in every country, every state. Yeah, exciting, interesting. He's got a PowerPoint that he didn't show, but um, of the plans of this this um, embassy. But it's very futuristic and fabulous, and ah, uh, yeah, it's a brand new world, isn't it? It's a brand new world. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating man. And uh, he's going to introduce me to some people, and I'm going to introduce him to some people, and we're all going to have fun. <laughs> we're going to get along. Uh, it's an amazing world. Imagine going there and meeting some extraterrestrials and learning from them, like having like lessons from them and maybe going for a bit of a 
spin in their space um, spaceships, a bit of a spin around the planet, maybe just go to Venus for the afternoon, have afternoon tea, come back, <laughs> come back for dinner. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> Holiday on Venus. Why not? Yeah, it's a brand new world. It's exciting, very exciting world. Uh, yeah, it's been another long conversation. As I say, Sylvan was fascinating and uh, he's got some amazing ideas. Although I did chat to him about speaking to his ET guides. I said he's got a whole galactic federation talking to him. And he says, I don't hear them. And I said, yeah, you're, you're too in your logical mind. You're too curious about something. I said, if you only ask them questions, just like if you ask somebody else a question, you have to actually wait and listen, like listen for the answer. But when we're speaking to a nebulous nothing that we can't see out with our physical senses, we usually ask questions like, oh, that'd be interesting. What does it mean by that? What does that mean? And what does that mean? And we don't give our mental capacity space to actually receive an answer. So just know that you're talking to a consciousness and you've got to listen for the answer just like you would listen from the answer from a human being so I've given him that challenge and hopefully he'll come back to me with yeah I'm talking to my ET guides <laughs> that'd be cool at least he's not Jacques Jacques um, Valet who when asked uh, you know are you inspired from spirit or God or ETs he's like nah don't believe in any of that crap <laughs> and he was totally inspired like the Venus Project is such an amazing project. You check it out. It's all online and it's amazing. And he's so inspired by futuristic beings, by, by spirit. Inspired in spirit. It's what inspiration's all about. To go within and listen to spirit. To be inspired. Yeah. All right, I'm going to go. Go have some breakfast. Actually, lunch. It's nearly lunchtime here. Thanks again for listening and watching and let me know your thoughts. What does your future world look like? How do you envisage your future world? Do you want to work? Do you not want to work? Do you want to be on holiday like he said? Do you think his vision of um, a futuristic world or a world that we can create now, did it, did it sound boring? Just get up and have some robot cook you breakfast and do what you like and have some lunch, robot cook you breakfast. I mean, did it sound boring to you or did it sound like, yes, I want that? I want to know your thoughts. Personally, I sound it sounded a little boring to me. I was like, I don't want to be on holiday 24-7. Uh, I want to do what I'm doing, actually. I want to inspire people and teach and talk to people. And yeah, I want to have a purpose in my life. I don't want to just be on holiday 24-7, although holidays are nice. Wouldn't mind one right now, actually, after being locked in. I've got a beach down the road I can't complain really I can't complain and I do swim even in winter but I, I, I do fancy sitting on a deserted island somewhere and sipping you know juice cocktails and just chilling out and having massages and swimming in a beautiful pristine turquoise aqua blue ocean and having some water sports maybe doing some sailing and stuff like that oh that'd be nice that'd be nice Maybe I'll do that this summer. Summer's coming up. I'll go up to um, Byron Bay and do that. Thanks again for listening and watching. And uh, I'll speak to you soon. If you want to join our Inner Sanctum, as I said, I'm online teaching every week. And this month coming up, October, we have the beautiful Serena Faith Masterson, who has been on the show. Check out my show with Serena. It is one of the most tragic profound stories I've ever heard Whew. 
someone who's just joined the group, uh, I said to the group, you know, check the show out because she's coming in. She said, when I saw the title, I, I just, I didn't want to watch it. It just sounded too like horrendous to listen to that story. And she said, but she, her heart just melted as she heard the story and she it was just relayed so sweetly and beautifully. And But it's horrendous. It's, it's horrendous um, and beautiful and funny. So she's going to come and inspire us with her wisdom next month coming up. And uh, yeah, remember to check out the book Awakened by Death if you haven't already. Love you big time. Bye for now.